right, there we go. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Ask LSC podcast. This is episode 19. I just had to start it over because, Mike, the first time I turned it on, I only had my microphone on. It would have been a very one-sided conversation here today. Quite literally. Yeah, quite literally. So, Hey, this is Mike Moses here, lead pastor of Lake Forest Church, uh, the family of churches, actually founding pastor of the family of churches, lead pastor of Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. That's right. And I'm Harrison Gilming. I am the worship arts director here at Lake Forest in Huntersville, and it is good to uh, it's good to be hanging out with you guys again today. Good to be sitting back here with you, Mike. And um, so we've we've we'll start with this. We've been over this in forty different ways to make sure that everyone gets a picture of what's happening. But just to say it, the forty first time <laughs> this weekend, we are uh, we are opening up the doors to allow some folks to join us in person, um, continuing to center what we're doing for folks that are joining us online. That's that's still, I w- we would say, the primary worship experience. Very limited in-person capacity. We are in no way inducing or encouraging in-person encouragement, uh, worship. But the heart behind it, where I kind of crossed over Harrison, the line of it's time to do this is number one, uh, kind of with our expert guidance, we feel great about our procedures. We think we're going to be able to do it more safely than I've experienced in restaurants and stores the past few weeks. Uh, we're going to be um, really detail-oriented about that. Uh, number two, so therefore we can't do it any safer a month or two from now than we can do it now. And then number two, what really pushed me over the edge is contact with some of our ministry partners who feel, um, I will say, spiritually alienated by the lack of in-person. And, and I, I'm going to, the, the, those folks skewed um, either single adult or younger adult. And for whatever reason, the, the, the lack of the in-person tactile was disorienting to them. Hmm. Um, and I felt as a pastor, if we can do this safely and not encourage big, huge crowds, but those for whom it's a need, then let's offer that, and we'll we will evaluate. So the main thing that we need you all to know is that we are uh, not just strongly encouraging. We are we are asking as a requirement, pretty much, that uh, if you can just sign up ahead of time and let us know that you're coming. Uh, we want to be really aware of the amount of people that are, that want to join us and reserve spots because, uh, as Mike said. The last thing we want is to, uh, you know, for the for the first time <laughs> this season, for the first time ever in, in church, normally your goal is, man, we want to have people busting out the doors. Bring and, five yeah, friends. We'll set up extra chairs we'll in the back. We'll sit in the and, aisles in the floor. Yeah, not, not right now. We would be incredibly discouraged if that was the case. And we are uh, we're going to be watching carefully on the amount of folks coming into the room. And, and if we get to, I don't from from what we've seen so far with folks signing up, I think, um, you know, I think we're going to have, like you said, Mike, there's some folks that have, that have been anxious to get back in, but, but the number is not huge because for a lot of folks, um, it's just not the right time yet. People have I, kids. People, that's the right call for most people. Reasons. The early, the uh, reservations have been open for two days and there was not some immediate rush. Yep. It, it looks like the people who feel that they need it the most will be coming by far, most will not. They're, I don't think we're going to max it out. Yep. Um, 
If we have an update by the end of the podcast, we'll let you know exactly how many people have registered so far as of Wednesday uh, late morning. Yep. Uh, so number one thing to remember, you must reserve ahead of time. And number two, you must be comfortable with every procedure that's listed uh, and following those to the T. And if you're not comfortable with that, for whatever reason, then it's it's time for you to remain worshiping at home or in a home worship gathering. I love seeing the pictures of some home worship gathering. Yeah, it's been really cool, and it's a and it's a good way. Uh, it's a good way for us to think about something that we've been hyper aware of over the past three months or so as a staff here is realizing we need to we need to be creative in finding ways for people to connect and to still feel that connection. And, and one of the primary ways that that has continued over this season is through, uh, folks meeting in community groups. Most of the, most of the people that are, are doing these home groups that are meeting on Sunday mornings, it's just a, a community group that has yeah. hung together. They feel comfortable around each other and have gotten together. And, uh, Mike, both you, uh, and I have continued in community groups also. And it's just been a really, nice way to still stay connected to folks your group and my community group uh neither of us are community group leaders but the groups of which we are a part under others leadership both met last night that's where we're gonna go this morning we're gonna do two things we're gonna address two subjects first uh harrison's community group really had some creative discussion around the takeaways from mitch's sermon last sunday on forgiveness uh, as a root christian virtue to practice during these times it was powerful. I, I appreciated the sermon. So we're going to discuss his takeaways again, remind you of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, secondly, we revealed on Sunday, Aaron Gibson and I announced that we have formally approved that our next church plant will be in the university area. I'm going to peel back the layers a little bit of how we came to that decision of that location uh, after investigating a few different locations in the city. Uh, and what's unique about it and what gets me uniquely fired up with a missionary lens on a zip code. It's exciting. We're having a baby church. Another baby. <laughs> That's right. We're pregnant. <laughs> That's right. Um, cool. Well, then we'll, we'll start there. Like, like you said, Mike, we had, um, we had our community group last night. And this is crazy. Um, oh, I, and I know we're not the only ones. We've seen this. There, there have been, like we've mentioned in this podcast before, and we've mentioned, uh, I'm sure on Sunday mornings, um, there have been folks that have joined Lake Forest as ministry partners who have literally never wa- set foot on this campus before. For a worship service. For for my wife and I, uh, we joined a community group right about a week after everything locked down. And I didn't know that. We have not met. We, there, there was a, a section of the group that existed, but we joined in with another couple and as the group exists now, we have not ever all met in person before. I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> Never Our community once group started meeting Zoom. I'm in two community groups with the 20-somethings just to be a pres- pastoral presence there. I come in and out once or once a month or so. And then the community group, Angie, and I've been in for a decade. Um, and both of those met by Zoom for months. They're both now uh, doing limited, not limited, in-person meeting with distancing outdoors and our group met outdoors on a back deck last night so what did y'all get into in your discussion yeah so our um our our community group leaders um 
took some good notes during Mitch's sermon on, on Sunday, which as you reflected on in the comments on Facebook, uh, it was really unique to hear an entire message kind of centered, centered around the, the person of Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of, of Jesus. And it's a, you know, it's a very Mitch thing to do to find this chunk of scripture <laughs> and just look at it a whole different yeah. way that you've never yeah. seen before and unpack some new things I in think it. So. If, if you work closely with, with Mitch, uh, just to give you an insight of Mitch, what, what we have a phrase around uh, the staff. I, I think this is okay for me to just go this. for it. Um, Mitch always takes a different angle on stuff. The whole group can be like, yeah, we're doing it this way. And then Mitch will come around, he'll just, he'll 360 it, and everybody will go, oh, that's the way to do it. We call that a Mitch slap. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, man. I Never mind. That's a story for another time. Anyways. Why don't you keep going? <laughs> so um, so our, our leaders took some notes and sent out to our group as we were getting started. Mitch had seven points uh, he called steps leading to forgiveness and and we we looked over all those points and we had a good discussion as our as a group about um, what is one that stuck out to you or an area of forgiveness that feels more challenging to you so I'll I'll actually share these seven with you real quick they're short um, just so you guys can hear it if you hadn't and then um, we may reflect for a couple minutes on some thoughts really that here's the seven steps Number one, remember your own story. Number two, admit your hurt. Number three, identify with Jesus. Number four, trust in God's power to change you. Number five, believe in God's power to change them. Number six, forgive does not mean trust. And number seven, keep forgiveness as your calling and mission. So I'll ask you the question we were asking our group last last night, Mike. Um, out of those things is there is there one of those for you maybe in the season you're in or a situation you've been in that you're like man that is so true or that's something that I need to flag for myself because it's I have a hard time with it sometimes can you read the seventh one again it was keep forgiveness as your calling and mission I think that one resonates with me the most there's a phrase I, I won't stop and reference check it but it was a sermon inside I gleaned from someone else and preached years ago and I should come back to it more frequently one of Paul's admonitions to one of the young churches, I believe it's Ephesians, uh, I believe it's Ephesians chapter uh, two or three, and he says, "Forgive one another." Blah blah blah. But the the literal the verb tense of the Greek is, and this was an insight from another scholar, was live with one another in a forgiving manner. In other words, as a Christian, all those other steps, owning your own story of forgiveness, keeping Christ-centered, identifying with Christ who forgave even when he was being sinned against, not necessarily trusting unless somebody's earned trusting them with your heart, but to almost live with people as pre-forgiven, um, not waiting to do the work afterward, to getting all of, not going through all the steps of offense, rage, indignity, Dignancy. How could you? Almost being pre-forgiven. That, what that doesn't mean is giving the person you live with, your spouse, a pass on everything. But you can skip over becoming indignant and derisive yeah. of the person is what I gleaned from that insight. I, so I, I think that seventh one 
if we can get there, and Paul says it's possible for the Christian to live that way. Yeah, the one, the one that stuck out to me that I shared with our group last night we, as we were talking was the fifth one that says, believe in God's power to change the other person. And I, and I just, I think, I'll say this carefully because, um, so we're at a place right now where I think forgiveness in a lot of ways is incredibly countercultural. Um, I think there are some spots where, uh, we see, you know, about every 48 hours, there's, there's something new. It feels like on the outrage cycle that gets shared and you see a person who is doing or saying something that is completely wrong, completely indefensible coming from a bad place. And, uh, it feels like, uh, the, the primary response of people sometimes in this moment is like, I hope they, I hope everyone they love starts to hate them. I hope they can never work again. I hope they'll never be happy. I hope just all the, all the bad yeah. things you can wish on somebody. And it, it feels very countercultural to me right now to, to reflect on Jesus and as Mitch was talking about Jesus even leading up to the cross is just handing out forgiveness as he's, he's as he's actively being executed and and it just so and I, actively not engaging in shaming of the one who is sinning so I, I think it's this shaming this that we're all tempted toward mm-hmm. and and I, and it's I just read an article by a sociologist of how connected this seems to be to the remarkable partisan divide at the moment. So if I could put it specifically, can I live in a forgiving, not a shaming manner toward a Trump supporter? Yep. Can I live in a forgiving manner, not a shaming manner toward a Trump opponent? Um, disagreeing, disagreeing, contending over issues and policies without the, the, the shame or the, um, yeah. And, and I'll say this as the, as the, the stepping carefully part on all of it is, is obviously when, when these things happen, um, I'm not saying that someone who, like we said, if there's, you know, a video, like we see of someone saying something that is just vile, hurtful, racist, mm-hmm. mean to another person that we should just go, well, guys let's just forgive them let's just because like everything there's consequences for the things that we do and say and for a lot of folks um in our fallenness and our imperfectness we have to hold a mirror up to ourselves and there's some folks right now who have the entire world of social media pointing a big fat mirror on them and we we as christ followers are called to say you know consequences are consequences we're not going to say well just don't worry about it. But also we, we say, God, use this in the life of this person to help them come out of it on the other side as a, as, as somebody who looks more like you, you use this as part of their story rather than saying, I hope they are miserable forever. Mm-hmm. Throw them in the, <laughs> throw them in the toss I, out pile. I saw a good example of that, Harrison, uh, a pastor, uh, a pastor of a small church who also is a, um, a state representative in another state, a Christian pastor of a 
Bible teaching church. Uh, I think he's bivocational, if I read the story correctly. And he, in his role as a state representative in this state, in that state, he wrote some stuff calling uh, uh, calling people on the other side of his political party derisive names mm-hmm. that were ugly. And his uh, denominational affiliation, this is an evangelical denomination, um, wrote to him and said, uh, brother, we're going to ask you to repent. You can, you can choose to be a, a, a guy in politics who scorched earth, and you can speak that way of your opponents if you like, but you cannot choose to be that and a pastor in our denomination who's called by Jesus to always speak with grace and truth. And this pastor responded with repentance and humility. The pastor slash politician, really yeah. interested. You know, I yeah. wouldn't want to be him. Yeah, right. Um, I, I was um, profoundly encouraged by that. That's what I love so much about the way that the, the Bible is put together. There's, there's about one person in there named Jesus who we don't see any bad side of because he was perfect. Everybody. And I don't know, to me, I think that speaks a lot to the, to the authenticity of God's word to us is it doesn't, it doesn't try to make anyone in there look perfect. Like these are, these are a bunch of people that in the process, their story, they made like bad mistakes. And so this man did, but as a Christian, he repented of sinful words how it reflected on the church and the pastors in his association extended forgiveness to him really beautiful stuff was there any other one of those one of the seven that your community group just dug into and, and found challenging or energizing yeah there was a um, there was someone in the group that said one that really stuck out to them as they've dealt with some family hurt in their life was the mm-hmm. sixth one that says forgive does not mean trust that that there is a aspect of forgiveness that is it's our own internal releasing of hurt it's releasing of another person's ability to cause us pain from actions that they have done in the past and for her and for their family it was it was uh, a family member that they said, we forgive you, we hold no ill will towards you, but we know that it is not healthy until there's some drastic changes made in your life that we're not going to be able to really have a relationship with you, with our kids. Yeah, have your kids in proximity, let's say to a relative who speaks abusively or ugly. Yeah, and and there's some stigma. We've, we've talked around the edges of this a little bit at times on the podcast as well, that... Um, it, it, that we as Christ followers, it's like, well, you know, just forgive it and move on. But that, that's not all the way it. Cause there's still, there's still boundaries. There's still, um, a practical side of things. You can forgive someone and they, they still, like we talked about, that's, that's a practical consequence of somebody's actions. They still have to show you that they're earning your trust back so that, you know, if you are vulnerable toward them, that they're not just going to just do the same thing they've done in the last 20 times. And then you forgive them again, then they do it the next time, the next time. So right. that was a, that's a really uh, helpful angle to think about in it is, is that forgiveness is not just letting yourself, um, 
be hurt by a person over and over again by having unhealthy boundaries, but being able to say... Yes, that's a form of Mm self-love, to love ourselves enough to have boundaries and not allow the other to continue to wound us. Well, that's really interesting. I I was just grateful for Mitch's sermon. This series really interests me. It's a nice challenge, even as the preacher, particularly to look into some lesser-known biblical figures. I'm in the middle of my studies for uh, this week on Shifra and Pua, the midwives to the Hebrews in Exodus chapter one. Well-known story, just like just like Jonah. <laughs> we'll we'll get into it. La- last thought about the uh, the teaching to leave with you guys is that Mitch um, he he wanted us to share this with you, and he wrote it in the comment section on the uh, on the Facebook chat this week. Um, but Mitch said this, do you have a forgiveness story? Please share it with us over the next couple weeks. Send an email to mwhite at lakeforest.org. So I think uh, Mitch is just interested in hearing some forgiveness stories. So if you're listening and you have one, he would love to, um, he'd love to hear that from you. So, um, all right, let's, let's move on to part two. Let's talk about uh, brand new baby churches happening. And, and so let me start with this, Mike, what, what led as, as you go through the process of working with our elders and, uh, a team, there's a, a team put together, right? A church, have a church multiplication team. That is a subset of the elders co-chaired by myself and one of our founding elders, Jack Cathy. So Dr. Jack Cathy, Dr. Jack professor in the business school, at UNC Charlotte. So as this, as initial conversation started happening, as you're looking at a, a big map of the Charlotte area, what was it that drew everyone's attention toward the university area over any number of other places? Several things. Number one, as uh, so our first decade as a church, we, we partnered with our parent church and a few other churches, and we were partners to church plants Uh, and because I had been a church planning pastor this is a specific thing in my profession okay your profession has some specializations none of them are better than others but mine happened to be the entrepreneurial side of spiritual leadership which is my track record had been starting up new ministries and people taking full ownership of them as their own and then those taking on a life of their own and I can start new things that's just I didn't try to become that guy. I just found that I was. That's a church planter in the pastor world. So because that was me, I then coached those pastors who started our partner churches. As we moved into this building, became a, a larger church, and we're just like, hey, hope we can set up again in the YMCA next week and still be a church. We're like, dude, we're a church, and God's mm-hmm. given us so many resources and people. We're responsible to be a fully orbed Acts 1-8, Great Commission Church, reaching, yes, people in our Jerusalem, so we always want to know who's your one more person you can invite here to Lake Forest Huntersville to learn about Jesus. We want to not only be Jesus' witnesses in our Samaria, local, nearby pockets of people who are ethnically, religiously, or socioeconomically different than our macro congregation for Lake Forest. That became the the fastest-growing Huntersville population in the last 10 years, which was the uh, Spanish-speaking immigrant community. And then um, we 
we saw that the history of the spread of the church is, is the uh, starting new groups of disciples that came to be called churches in Judea, which is the region around you, and to the ends of the earth. That's Jesus' geographical say, go be my witness, all those places. And to be a, we felt like to be a fully orb responsible church to our resources, we should be vigorous in all those areas. So we started the church multiplication team to steward a vision 10 years ago, 2010, as part of our Love 10 initiative, one subset of that. We grew, we opened the, ba- we built the balcony here, a few other things on our, the box as a part of the Love 10 initiative, and we funded, initially funded church planting with a couple hundred thousand dollars. Uh, and their job was to steward the vision of, of planting churches in our Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so our initial ones, uh, we felt like what we, our primary mission field is the Lake Norman area with followers of Christ and their unchurched friends. And so our initial church planning were in geographically contiguous areas, uh, sort of you could call it disciple-making saturation with the unique vision and values of Lake Forest, or you could call it helping Lake Forest people who lived in first Davidson area and then Denver area follow Jesus more hyper-local to where they and their unchurched friends live. And so fruit of that's just awesome. So, you know, before the pandemic, those two churches had about, between the two of them, about a thousand people on a Sunday morning. You add them together. Uh, Westlake is about to build their first building. Breaking ground this, oh, next Friday night. Yeah. And then, of course, we started a church in our Samaria, Mm -hmm. El Buen Samaritano. So we looked at what's another relatively geographically contiguous area, and we've looked very seriously, and we've had requests to think about Cabarrus County area, um, uh, North Charlotte, um, uh, maybe moving down toward West Charlotte, down the Beatty's Ford Corridor, uh, although our partner church plant, the L, is on the Beatty's Ford Corridor. Yep. So we wouldn't plant a church right next to them. So long story short. Was that too long of an answer? No, that was great. Okay, because that, that's, that's kind of what we're doing. And long story short, here's why we got excited about the university area. We ended up um, really keying in on the Cabarrus County area and then the university area. We drew a kind of a, a, a map. It looks like an octagon in the university one around what, what we thought would be the area. And then we ordered demographic, sociographic, psychographic studies. Okay, this is how you think like a missionary, Harrison. Like, what are these commun- who are these people that God has put in these two places? What are their characteristics? What kind of church? Mm-hmm. Because Lake Forest Church, we we allow each church to contextualize itself to that zip code. So the Denver church has the most similarity to our Huntersville church in worship expression. The Davidson church varies some because Davidson is a blue state zip code. Huntersville is a red state zip code. How you worship, how you how you apply God's words a little different. El Buen Samaritano is the most extremely different, mm-hmm. uh, including a different name. Um, so, and, and so what we're doing in church planting or missions, we always have this theme verse from the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians, where he says, uh, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So Paul goes through this long list. When I'm with Jews, I become like them. When I'm with Gentiles, I become like them. When I'm with the weak, 
I accommodate to the weak. When I'm with the strong, I accommodate to the strong. I become all things to all people that some may be one for the blessings of the gospel. And so, so here's how, so peeling back the layer here, here's how we think like a missionary of the university area and why we ended up choosing it. Uh, one reason that pushed us over the edge of why we're, well, let me share these Democrats. Um, no, I'm sorry. Let me answer the bigger question first. We ended up choosing it. Uh, we felt like to plant a church in the Cabarrus County area, and we may do that someday. I got an email asking that for that last week, someone who's worshiping online with us because they're really hungry for the uniquenesses that are Lake Forest. That's not to say there aren't great churches over there. We ex- we're in a unique expression of the bride of Christ. Not better, not worse, but we... We love the unique sets, types of people we meet. Yep. We reach. And this person in Cabarrus County said, it's just too far from my family to drive, but during the pandemic, we're worshiping online with you. Let us know if you're ever going to start a church here. And we felt like that church would be very much more similar again to Lake Forest, Huntersville, and Westlake. But in the cultural moment that we're in, we also were challenged. And the vision of our denomination which is to, at the moment, which is to emphasize becoming a more Revelation 7-9 expression of the gospel nationally, which is Revelation 7-9 speaks God's future, his perfect picture of his kingdom. It says that day around the throne will be every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And that word nation is ethne in the Greek. It's openly ethnic oriented. In other words, God values ethnicity. God does not say, hey, don't talk about race. You just don't. That, that, that makes it worse. If that were the case, the Apostle Paul, most of the New Testament letters wouldn't be there. Paul openly names, hey, Jews and Gentiles, we got to deal with this. Isn't that interesting, Harrison? I never really saw that until some of the recent discussions. Yeah. And so, so God will value ethnicity distinctive ethnicity as unique expressions of God's image in the human community, will there be a whole in the kingdom still identifiable as their ethnicity? I don't know how that's going to work. And so our denomination, the EPC, I'm just so proud and challenged, is encouraging us. We've historically been a lily-white Presbyterian denomination. How can we prefer uh, previously underserved ethnicities, communities in our future new churches. That would include, Harrison, the, the Presbyterian faith has underserved, for example, rural white Appalachia. Uh, that's an example. Um, so when we did the demographic studies of these two areas, Cabarrus County and then the university area, what we saw in the university area really lined up with not only Lake, the Lake Forest family of churches flowing in a more Revelation 7-9 direction, uh, but our denomination flowing that way. And then the great need that we're seeing, this, this pushed us over the edge. We see the need for racial understanding and uh, harmony and equity, and it is Christians who should be leading the way. As Mitch said, with forgiveness in our hearts, but then acting with vigor for change. And so here's, okay, friends, you're going to, this is, I think this is super interesting. You can feel free to turn this off now, but I think this is what I'm getting ready to, so I'm going to summarize to you the demographic data of sort of our area that we drew out in the university area. 
There are uh, 78,443 people living in this defined study area. Guess how much that area has grown since the year 2000? What percent? How much? 115%. At the same time, how much do you think the U.S. population as a whole grew? Come on, come on. Give me a 30%. Guess. 17. 17. Man. U.S. grew 17%. This area, 115%. We need new churches there. There's people with spiritual needs. Yeah. Done. That's the math. We don't have to ask the Holy Spirit. Do that. Check this out. Is it projected to grow now further? Yes. It is projected to grow by, uh, by just un- from now to 2024 to grow by 8.5%. In the same period, the U.S. population projected to grow by only 3.5%. We need more churches there. Okay, check this one out. <clears throat> How much lifestyle diversity is represented in this area relative to the United States? The lifestyle diversity, these are, these are defined demographic categories, Harrison, by the way. I'm learning, yep. I learned demography uh, as a church planner. Yeah. To think like a missionary. The, the lifestyle diversity in this area is very high. It's the highest possible. And there's st- categories. Um, uh, how do racial or ethnic groups contribute to diversity in this area? Here's the drill down. Uh, the racial ethnic diversity in this area is extremely high. So actually, I, I lied. The very high in the previous category was the second highest. This is the highest racial ethnic diversity you could be. Check this out. Anglos represent 371 percent of the population african americans account for 37.9 percent of the population it's within 0.8 per- of a percent of the same the <coughs> excuse me um the lar- uh, the largest uh, other group asians are the fastest growing population uh, my experience has been that this means particularly uh immigrant families from India. Um, they're the fastest growing population. They're increasing by 22% between now and 2024. So Anglos and African Americans both 37%. Um, Latinos only 7 8% and Asians or South Asians, I believe it's somewhere between 15 and 20%. Super interesting, Harrison. So if you're going to plant a church there, the context demands, who God has put there demands a what we have been calling a multi-ethnic expression of the body of Christ, which I think, by the way, is, is the, the missional tip of the spear for uh, re-reaching the millennial generation. Um, if it doesn't smell uh, multi-ethnic to them, I, I think it's inauthentic hmm. for many of them for various reasons. So, so it's, the context demands this type of effort. I've also had my speech, uh, I've sent out the job description for this church planner to a few people that I wanted their input, including a couple of African-American pastor friends. And both of them suggested the same edit. They are learning that uh, generally when churches say, hey, we want to do a multi-ethnic ministry or church, pastors of color Christians of color tend to experience that as a very Anglo-centered expression of church, hoping to add in some other colors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the new phrase that they're suggesting is more helpful is cross-ethnic. 
that it would actually begin as a culture that is not a predominant ethnicity, as God provides, as God brings people, um, but that, that that communicates something to a pastor of color. So we're going to start using the phrase cross-ethnic. Here's a couple of other details. What are the major generational groups in this area of University City? The largest age group in terms of numbers is millennials, ages 18 to 37. Hmm. That's 40%. Um, that, that may be becoming true of Huntersville as we see our greatest growth at Lake Forest, Huntersville, a huge growth spurt here at our church, has been very young families moving up from South End or Noda where they went to be cool uh, after college or out of high school and now having a, a kid and a dog here. Uh, and so the millennial level, uh, ages, eight, uh, what did I say, 18 to 37, is actually very high in Huntersville and very high at our church, Lake Forest Huntersville. But that's also interesting there. Um, let me give two more details here because I see you. I heard that yawn. Did you all hear that yawn? Uh, I don't know. Harrison remember. just yawned. I don't yawned. remember. My daughter was up early. I'm you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit in the front row Sunday, <laughs> and right when you're in your little solo moment, I'm going to yawn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, two more details. How educated are the adults in this area? It's very high. So across the, the, all those ethnicities, the education level is very high. And then, and then finally, um, here's the last bit that is how we're going to think like a missionary in this area, and particularly asking God for the right pastor to lead us this way, who God's gifted to do this. Here's the last detail that put us over the edge to really be excited about planting a church in that area is the household incomes in that area are um, uh, medium to high based on national averages. Interesting. There is not a great difference between Anglo, African-American, and Indian total household income in that area. Now, I could do a deep dive, and, and there's a little bit, there's variation according to education attainment. But there is a, this area is an area of middle class, upper middle class, in which there is uh, not a, in which the socioeconomic status is fairly uh, level across ethnicity. So here, here's, here's how this comes into cross-ethnic church. One of the greatest barriers and conflicts and things to be constantly aware of, complications in a cross-ethnic church, is quite often, because of income inequities in our country, quite often one ethnicity, usually Anglo, has a much higher household income than the other ethnicity. And that creates a, uh, a natural power differential dynamic. That is its own thing to overcome in a people worshiping with sharing leadership in a church, sharing decision-making, sharing the table. Now, it's beautiful when there's cross-socioeconomic fellowship. But this location takes that not completely but largely off the table. That's a barrier to cross-ethnic fellowship and means that that power of a differential by and large will not be there. And it makes it an even more fertile Petri dish <laughs> for a, a cross-ethnic church to not only then 
speak back prophetically and influence the rest of the Lake Forest family of churches, but our denomination and our city. I think the exciting thing about that is that with the with the data that you guys have collected there, the most the most authentic church that you could plant in that area is a cross ethnic church. If you if you tried to plant a church that was primarily for white folks, primarily primarily for black folks, primarily for Indian folks, these these people clearly are already living and working every day in in community and yes. doing life together with they've chosen to be a part of this area and and they live life with people outside of yes. their own ethnic kind of circle so so to to be the most to, to be the most full and and healthy and thriving representation of that area requires this type of church Harrison when we were in the middle of making this decision we were pretty close to making it I played golf with somebody at Skybrook, which is the edge of Huntersville University area. And I came back through the northern part of the university area, and I stopped in a Harris Teeter. And I stopped, with distancing, I needed to get something. And I stopped and looked around, and I texted all the members of our church planting team here at Lake Forest, which is, represents our family of churches, not just Lake Forest Huntersville. I said, my gosh, this is a totally different human picture than the Harris Teeter on Gilead Road that I go to in Huntersville. It, it was it was what I just described. And I said, I, I, um, uh, I, I experienced that l- tiny little snapshot. I don't claim to fully understand the area, but our whoever God sends us as the church planning pastor, that will be their, their joy and responsibility. And, and one thing that I've really enjoyed um, – that I've seen unfolding over the seven or so years that I've been a part of the Lake Forest family is um, I, I've been uh, in and around church culture in some way for for pretty much all of my life. And, and right around right around when Lake Forest was exploring it, I wasn't here yet at that time, but right around, you know, the mid-2000s to about 2010 or so, there was this big blow up in the church world there's this model that was coming out that was just start people were just starting to figure this thing out they were calling it multi-site church where it was like you can you can have your kind of home base and then you're going to have these little satellite areas around that are pretty much they're they're pretty much just a copy and paste version of your church that you're just kind of sending sending out and and for sure there have been Clearly, there are some churches that have used a model like that and have been successful with it. But seeing the ways that uh, Lake Forest, Davidson, and even and even Westlake for their similarities to us, and then leading to El Buen Samaritano in this church, it is so crystal clear to me, and I'm sure to to this team that spends their time doing this. If we just copy pasted. Huntersville on top of Davidson on top of Westlake over in university it it would be it just wouldn't it wouldn't be the right thing to do in those con like it wouldn't it wouldn't be the right thing like they need they need an expression that is authentic to their people to their community to their area and just saying well hey this worked for us it'll work do exactly this this will exactly work for you guys because 
here at Huntersville, we're having great success with it. Um, the, the vision of looking at the, the model of planting churches and saying, no, it, it needs to be for those folks. It's not for us. And, and including in that the, of necessity, empowered decision-making of all that affects that congregation by that congregation. Our elders now are aggregated from the various churches, but you guys should know the elders at each church have the and pastors together have the decision-making power of budgeting, personnel, shepherding, all of that. Um, uh, it's to, to kind of be checked off by the all elders together of all the family of churches, uh, but this decision-making gives them power, so they're not. Uh, El Buen Samaritano is not beholden to how the overall elders of Lake Forest tell you to do your work. You know, that Mm is 100% his power, and it'll be the same with this new church. Hey, before we finish, I do have a registration number update for our first gather in person. Let's let's hear it. What what do we have for the 10 o'clock? As of 11 a.m., Wednesday morning for the 10 o'clock service, 79 people have registered out of a possible 180. Great. How about for the table service? Table service, we are limiting that to no more than 70, and we have 19 registered at this point. I think that's probably about right. Yeah. So, so um, again, if you if you are interested, sign up. If not, we are big giant fans of um, whatever's the best decision for you for your family uh we are we are cheering you on and we really genuinely truly believe this we've been saying it internally this entire time we've been uh we believe it, it we're we're not this weekend we're not reopening the church yeah the, the church we've has been, been open great worship yeah all along i experienced worship online at home this past sunday morning for the first time with Angie, and I just did what she did. I said, I'd like to follow your routine. This is the first time I've done that. And it would, I, I very much worshiped God in the singing. We, st- we put the laptop up on the fireplace mantle and stood and sang, and then we sat down. And Angie and I, Angie's taking notes in her Bible during the sermon. I felt the immediacy of, of the preached word. I, I just, uh, I appreciate you, Harrison, you and Dustin in particular have been in charge of the the, how, how we have a high production value, not to be produced, but for it to come across as personal and uh, uh, as possible uh, for people. That, that's the reason we pursue quality in that. Uh, so thank you for how you're, you're providing. I experienced it, and I'm just grateful. And that's how most of us will continue to worship. And those who do come back, I need them to do so safely because, for instance, I'm going first part of this weekend to go be with my father with Alzheimer's so that my mom as a full-time caregiver can have a break. So I need my safety protected as well. Um, and I, so I'm going to be, my radar is going to be up for how we do this Sunday morning. Do I get the heebie-jeebies that we're not doing it well? And uh, I don't think I will. I'm very confident in the plan. Yeah. Well, we look forward, we look forward to online, in person, however that is, to uh, continuing the series we've been in. God Stories here this weekend. Thank you guys again for joining us this week on the Ask LFC podcast. And just as always, uh, as a follow-up to any teaching, as a follow-up to anything that you hear on the podcast, or just anything you're wondering in general, you can always send in any questions to 
asklfc at lakeforest.org. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, we will catch you around this time next week. Okay. See you. All right. See you, everybody.